<laughs> Thank you for that. I appreciate it. All right. So, and welcome to those who are streaming with us. We love that. Um, so here we are. And what we're doing is the Lord has been, as he's been doing with us for years now, taking us into seasons where he really takes us deeper into a particular aspect of our walk in him. And the season that he's had us in since Easter is that we would actually share him, that we would actually talk about him, that we would actually be willing to share him with people that we love, and that we would actually do that. And not intend to do that, but then, you know, the pressure or the moment or whatever and miss the opportunity that we would actually be prayed up and we'd be in a place to where when the opportunity came, we saw it, we entered into it, and it wasn't us doing it. It really was the Holy Spirit doing it through us in a way that works, okay? So that's what we're doing. That's what he's been pressing in on us. And, and I want to just make this clear. Don't forget, the reason why this is so important is because, A, God loves the world. He loves people that he made, that he created, and he wants them to come to him. And B, you're his plan. He is not coming down and doing all of this for us. He has determined that salvation would come mostly through us, that we would be his instruments. And in fact, says so at the very end of Matthew in the Great Commission, where he says... Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I got a little bit of an echo. Can you guys hear that? Um, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So here, this is what he's saying. You go, and you go do this, and I'll be with you, and I'll do what needs to be done through you, if you will, Go. That's the word in there. We have to go. We can't just sit back and expect it all to happen, which is frankly, no, you know, just saying it, right? But this is the posture that the church has come to at this point in time. What we do is we, we come to church and we consume and we think that that's the religious duty and service and thing that we need, the box that we need to check in order to be right with God. When in fact, this is but one moment and all the rest is what he's really caring about. That's what he's really going after. That's what he's really trying to do through you. To the point that we have this beautiful image where Isaiah sees God in all of his glory. And then God says, I heard the Lord asking, who will go for us? And Isaiah says what all of us need to say. Here am I, send me. Send me. So this is what he's doing with us right now. He's going through this and lovingly, he's recognizing that we have all kinds of challenges. We have all kinds of reasons why we don't do things. We have all kinds of issues as to why we don't do what is so abundantly clear. So he's just lovingly, carefully, but surely walking us through each one of those as we go so that he can just lovingly deconstruct what is stopping us so that in our place, in its place, can be him moving us. You see it? Now, in that regard, I'm doing a little bit of an advertisement right here. Last week, what we had was Jesus in the garden praying those three times. And as Jesus prayed so forcefully, so vehemently and passionately those three times, when his moment came, he rose to it. He was in it, and he got it right. As opposed to Peter who kept falling asleep each of the three times and then had his three moments and failed in all three. So we don't want to be Peter. We want to be like Jesus. We want to get it right when the moment comes, no matter what it is, because it doesn't come with a whole bunch of billboards and signs and it's real easy. Sometimes it happens that way, but most of the time it's a moment and it's here and it's only here for a moment and then it's gone. And that's what he's looking for us to catch. And if we're prayed up, then we'll catch it. So at the end of last week's sermon, if you didn't hear it, I highly encourage you to. But having said that, let me say that what we did is we came up with something, that this prayer list. We said, we're not praying in this prayer for what we need. This is what we did last week. But that we would trust him, be bold, be anointed. That means him doing it through us, him empowering us to actually do whatever he leads us to do to reach someone else. That's what we prayed for last week. And at the end of that sermon, 
I came up with a concept that we're going to start doing probably Tuesday, Wednesday of this week, as soon as we can get it, all the database together and everything else, and that's what I'm doing right now. And what we're going to be doing is empower prayer, power prayer. And what this is, I love this idea. If you've heard it, you already know it, but I'm just going quickly. But power prayer, empower prayer, what it is, is, is we're going after the whole family, the whole body, praying each day for a different person. So the whole family plays, prays for one person that day. But remember, the prayer is not for them and about that they be happy or good or all. You can pray all that stuff too. But what we're praying for them is, is to be his instrument, to trust him, to be bold, to be anointed, to actually do whatever he's leading us to do. See that? So the whole family, now think about that. What we're doing is just what Jesus did when he said, you guys pray for me. I need somebody to lift my arms. And what we're saying is our intent is to do exactly what you're telling us to do, Lord, to be there and do it in the moment. But we miss the moments all the time because of our own agenda, because of our fears, because we don't think we're qualified, because we're scared, whatever it is, we got all these reasons why we don't do it. And so what we're praying for is that we would be there in the moment when God wanted to do it. And so what we're doing in part is we're asking everybody to pray for that one person. And that's, you know, you're praying for that one person that day. But what we're doing is we're praying for our entire body to be there in the moment. God through them, right? And so we're having you sign up. Now, I want, to, want you to know something. We're going to pray for every single person in here, whether you sign up to be a prayer or not. So if you don't want to be prayed for, you have to use this sign-up sheet to say, please don't pray for me. Okay? Now, I got to tell you, that's pretty awkward, so I hope nobody does it. Okay? But having said that, it could happen. Okay, so here it is right here in the front of your church. Let's do this. If you were here last week, we got your information. You're good to go. Now, you'll notice there's email and text, and I am asking you to prayerfully consider going with the text. And the reason why is because I have this image in my mind of receiving, the whole body receiving a text at the same time, and right when you get it, stopping and praying. The whole body at one time, one moment, praying for one person. You see that? And I just have this feeling that that's kind of powerful. That could be pretty good. And I'm not, look, uh, here's what I'm asking for. A minute, maybe two. Now, there's other people in this body, praise God, who are going to take that name. They're going to pray for, for, over it for hours. Well, that's good too, right? But, that, but what I'm asking for is, is that when you get that text, that you just stop, that you just lift them up and you say, God, make them trust you. Have them be bold. Anoint them to be there, to do whatever it is you're leading them to do. Got it? Okay. So please, the ushers are going to be collecting it right now. So if you didn't get this last week, we had a lot of people sign up last week. If you didn't get it last week, if you're doing the email, write your email down. If you're doing the text, which we prefer, write down your phone number and your carrier. Now we're not spamming you. This doesn't give us permission to do other things. It's just one text. Monday through Friday and Sunday. We, we're going to skip Saturday just because I like doing things like that, okay? So we're going to do Monday through Friday and Sunday because it would be kind of fun to come to church, I think, knowing that everybody prayed for you that day, right? You know, could be fun. So with that in mind, please fill that out and then pass to ushers. Could you come down this aisle and this aisle and then just head up those aisles? So pass. If you're over here, pass this way. If you're over here, pass this way. You catch it? Got it? Okay, and then we're just coming back to pick them all up, all right? Thank you. All right, so we're done with that. And now as they're collecting the things, and thank you for doing this, I think this is gonna be a really fun thing, but having said that, here we go. Here's my question for today. Here's the thing that God is gonna work with us today. Has anyone ever deeply hurt you as you were sharing God's love? You're doing something in the Lord. You're trying to love them. You're not pushing them. If they reject you because you're in their face all up in their grill, you know what I mean? They reject you. Well, you know, turnabout's fair play, right? Live by the sword, die by the sword. But if you're just loving on somebody, if you're just trying to share something about your experience and what you know, and somebody comes back at you in a way that is not just an overreaction, but it has actually hurt you. Have you ever had that happen? I want to suggest to you that if you haven't, you might not have shared the gospel very much. Because if you have, you're going to get that. Jesus got that. 
he's better at it than we are, and he got that. And we're going to see a particularly poignant moment of him getting that today. But the bottom line is, is I want you to think about those moments where you've shared and you've been hurt. Not just where you've shared and they've rejected and you were cool with it because you knew, but those moments where they rejected you in a way that was painful. Because here's what I want us to think about. Whenever you do something with somebody that you love and they reject you in a way that hurts you, what happens next? You shut down, don't you? I'm not gonna do that again. <laughs> I touched the stove once. I know not to do that again, right? So you don't do that again. Well, that's a problem if what you're trying to do is share the love of God with them, right? If you're shutting, if you're shutting down. So the bigger question we're asking is, did this rejection, and by the way, we're making it broader because I want you to think about something. There's all kinds of ways that we get hurt and they're not always in the context, of course, of sharing God's love. But when we get hurt, what happens is we become less willing to love. And by the time we get done, you're going to find that that's the thing God is actually asking for. A love that is unusual, precisely because it doesn't take the measure. It doesn't pay back. Instead, turns the other cheek. Instead, goes beyond and does this other thing. So what we're looking for is, did this rejection or some other sort of rejection from somebody you deeply love hurt you so much that you found yourself less willing to share God's love with them or broader to just love people because they hurt me? There are people in here. I, I just don't, I wish I could. Um, I, I'm wrestling with this sermon a lot and I have been all week because I want to take a knife. This is going to sound gross, but I mean it metaphorically. I want to take a knife and I want to cut what's in my heart. I want to cut my heart open so that what God has put in there, the pathos of this, the emotion of this, the pain of this. There was a moment in the notes that I was making as I was talking about the sermon and God actually gave me the next sermon too and where to go. And, but, but, he, but he brought me back to this point right here and what he was saying to me was, but I felt like it was, Pain, 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 pain. Pain. Hurt. That's, that's influenced us. That's changed us. That's knocked us off course from who God wants us to be, who God made us to be. Everything I'm saying here, I hope, has this pathos in it to the point that you are feeling this thing that God wants us to feel feel because this is what he felt and look what he did right so with that in mind okay we're going to pray and who's our prayer Joel Hallett the Hallett's the whole clan of them are going to be moving to Atlanta because for some reason they think that that's a better plan than living here <laughs> And I don't understand it at all except to say that, well, praise God, you can actually be able to buy a house. So, you know, um, but I love you guys with all my heart. And they're going to be, it's still a couple of months off, but be loving on them and their family. Okay, we love you. So Joel, thank you. Okay, this is, you're a big hearted guy. Pray for this sermon, pray for another church. Father God, thank you so much for this family. We've moved around a lot over the last few years, and this is always home. And we're so, so grateful to have had the, uh, the couple of years that we had to return. And this is, this is the one place that we are grieving leaving behind as we move. So thank you so much for this family and for allowing us to be here for the text message thing. So I know we're going to be on the list, even if we're in Atlanta. Um, as Kurt continues to wrestle with the sermon that you've given him, I ask you to give him exactly the right words Amen. and intonation and emotion and in the same way that you promised you would give Moses exactly what he needed to say, Thank give you, Kurt Jesus. exactly what he needs to say. Open our hearts, prepare us to be convicted and encouraged at the same time with this message because I, I, I hear that 
maybe you have some difficult things to say to your children this morning. So prepare us to hear it with an open heart and to take it in as truth, uh, but not as condemnation. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, for our church, Father, um, last Wednesday uh, we were here, Lorelai and I were here for the uh, end of the short version of Alpha, and uh, we were really struck by how much effort uh, that video took to reach out to every branch of your family, of your body. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open up the prayer for another church a bit and say, God, unite the body of Christ. Amen. Amen. Bring us together. Bring the Protestant church and the Catholic church and the Orthodox church bring the apostolics and the evangelicals and the Pentecostals, bring everyone who loves your son more than they love life together and unite us as one body Thank you, so Jesus. that we can reach the lost. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Lord. That was beautiful, Joel. Thank you. Remember, at the end of the summer, as has now been traditional for a number of years now, all the churches in this area, not all of them, but the vast majority of them will be getting together to serve at our schools. Stevenson will be done by then. We'll be helping to set up Stevenson. And then the day after that, a day that I know a lot of people take as a, you know, go somewhere else and do something else day, but we're going to be in downtown Bellevue Park again this year. And it is, uh, it is totally remodeled. If you've never seen it, it's gorgeous. And there's going to be a big service down there. And I'm just, I really feel very strongly about everybody actually coming, making that a priority. I'd rather have you miss one of our services than that one. Okay, if you want to trade one, trade one. Because there's something about us all getting together, just to exactly what you're saying, praying, worshiping. Okay, it's going to be great. All right, so... With that in mind, here's our passage. Now remember, Jesus has been praying in the garden and then he gets done with his third prayer and he comes back out and it says, while he was still speaking, suddenly a mob was there and one of the 12 named Judas was leading them. He came near Jesus, one of the 12, he's one of the disciples, was leading them. He came near Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Now, now if you're... If you're astute theologically, or if you just know your scripture pretty well, there's two ways you can read this passage and read the emotions that are going on in Jesus or not going on in Jesus. And there, there is a way to read it that goes something like this. Jesus knew that it was going to happen. Right at the very beginning, when he first picked him, it says, and he knew which one would betray him. And then as they're in ministry time, it goes to, the, Jesus is saying to everybody, the words I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but some of you do not believe me. Now look, it says, for Jesus knew from the very beginning which ones didn't believe, and he knew who would betray him. This is early on in his ministry. Then we get to the end of his ministry in a, in a very interesting moment, which is right before, it's during the Last Supper, but it's right before the communion of the Last Supper. Now Jesus was deeply troubled. Now what was he troubled about? obviously it's that he's about to go to the garden, he's about to get arrested, he's about to go to the cross and that whole separation from God thing. But I want to say it's more than that. And he, he brings it out here when he says, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. Now, so John leaned over to Jesus and asked, Lord, who is it? Now watch this. Jesus responded, it's the one to whom I give the bread I dip in the bowl. Think about that. I dipped the bread in the bowl and gave it to him. What does that sound like? The communion they're just about to do with the, uh, the, the 11 after Judas has left. This works as an anti-communion here. Okay? Instead of Jesus entering, Satan will enter. But the bottom line is, is it's, that's not Jesus' intent. It's not to bring Satan into him. It's to give him the same thing that he's giving everybody else knowing that he's not going to be there, but he's still giving him, even at this moment, an opportunity to take and eat of me. To take me inside. Do you see it? So what he says is, is it's the one who, and he gives it to Simon, or Judas. When Judas had eaten the bread, Satan entered in him. And Jesus told him, hurry and go doing what you're going to do. Now you can read that again, just like we're doing this other passage. You can read that and say, 
just go do what you're going to do. And, and like, like Jesus knows it's going to happen and he doesn't care. And I think that that's a total misreading. Now, this is speculation. I want to say that, okay? I always make it clear when I'm doing something that I think is arguable and I wouldn't be arguing it if it wasn't arguable. And I think I'm right. And I think by the time I get done, you're going to see why. It's important that we not read it with what I might call sort of a reformed mentality. Reform means God is totally sovereign. He knew everything was going to happen. And reform implies in its theology a fairly high degree of lack of passion. There's a stoicness. There's a God knows everything that's going to happen. And so there's a lack of emotional in it. And reform just comes with that. They, they end up, it ends up being a natural corollary to this idea. And what I want to say is sovereignty of God and reformed is absolutely true. It's just not all there is. There's the paradox of also giving us genuine free will, real free will. And in that, yes, God always knows, but at the same time, there's tremendous emotion that God is showing throughout scriptures right? He knows the Israelites are going to fail, but he pleads with them not to. He's begging them not to. He's weeping that they wouldn't. Do you see it? He, just because he knows that they're going to do it doesn't mean he's not trying to get them to not do it. <laughs> and this is what I want to say about Judas. When we think of Judas and Jesus, it's easy to think of it in a dispassionate way. Jesus knew that he was going to betray him. He let him ride along, and then he betrayed him. But that's not the right heart. The heart is more, Jesus knew that he was going to betray him, absolutely true, but the other side of the paradox was, is that he was going after him at every moment. In fact, in a certain way, all the more. You've been in relationship with people who you know were solid and know were there, and then somebody who was shaky right? Somebody who you knew wasn't there. And, and what did you do? You know, there's that thing in us to reach out to the lost sheep, to reach out to the one who's not getting it, to be all the more engaged in your heart to go after that one. Now, some of us like me are particularly attuned to that. Not everybody is as attuned as me on the lost one. In fact, I, to, the, to my harm, cannot take proper care of the 99. But having said that, the, the bottom line that I'm going after was, is that Jesus, Simon, Judas, excuse me, Judas was walking with Jesus for three and a half years. He was one of the 12 that was in the most intimate moments. If, if we were using this sort of band of brothers analogy, war type analogy, he was part of that little bitty division, or division is a larger term, but what would that be, would that be called? Unit? platoon. He was part of that platoon. Thank you. So he was part of that platoon of just 13 people, Jesus and the 12. And they were in the trenches, taking the fire, doing the things, going through things, seeing things. Do you think that Judas started off from the very beginning as being totally suspect of Jesus? If you read his story, it's not that. There's this thing where he's caught up like everybody else is. And then the things of the world choke that out, right? But the bottom line is, is I want you to see Jesus as doing both sides of the paradox. Yes, he knows that he's going to do this. That he's going to. But Jesus does not shut down his heart for him because of it. Let me say that again. He knows what he's going to do. But he doesn't shut down his heart for him. Because he knows that. The reason why that's important for us to get a hold of is because we don't know what a person's going to do. And what does God ask us to do? Never shut down our heart towards somebody. Thank God we don't know. Because we would be unlike Jesus. We would shut down our heart. Oh, they're unsafe. Boop, that's it. And this is a weakness of just having a purely reformed theology right? There is this argument of the people that are, that are damned, well, God made them for that and made them for ignoble purposes, so who cares? It turns out God cares. I just want to go a little bit deeper on this. If you're going to say about Judas 
that God, that Jesus didn't love him, then you have a problem when it comes to you. Because the truth is, our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were what? Not just rejecting him, enemies. <laughs> his story is our story, there but for the grace of God. Do you see it? While we were enemies, Jesus died for us. This is backwards. We became friends and then he died for us. Because that's what friends do for friends. Nobody dies for the enemy. Well, God does. Why? Why? Because he loves them. It doesn't mean he doesn't also hate those who reject him. We'll get to that in one second. But just watch this. There is, again, I'm, I'm, this is not a sermon about Reformed theology, but I just need us, I'm talking a little theological because there's a lot of people that know this stuff around here. And either way, I just want you to get a hold of this. Okay, this is a, this is a sizable movement in the church, purely Reformed theology. And one of the things it'll say about Jesus on the cross is it's called what's called a limited atonement. And what that means is that Jesus died for those who were going to accept him. That's all. He did not die for people that didn't. And the logic that they're using is, is, well, but Jesus gets everything that he wants, and if he wanted him, he'd have got him. And there's a certain logic in that. The problem is it's not true to the paradox. It's not true to the larger picture. It's not true to who God is. The truth of the matter is, as Scripture says, I think very clearly, the atonement is for everybody. The moment on the cross at which Jesus reconciled mankind to God was for mankind. It was for all of us. It wasn't limited to just those who would believe. Those who believe are the only ones who take advantage of what it is. They're the only ones who appropriate it and get it in their lives. But other people have to reject it. But it doesn't mean it's not being offered. Do you see that? Jesus is dying for people that he loves. Hoping. Hoping against hope. Hoping against knowledge. Jesus gives every person the absolutely same chance to come to know him, which includes loving every person the same. If you had a group of eight and you said to yourself, seven of these are going to come to know Jesus, me, and they're going to be saved, so I love them. This one is not, so, you know, I love him, but, you know, I know what he's going to do, the schmuck. <laughs> do you see it? Now, did that person have the same opportunity to come to the Lord? Do you see it? He doesn't. I get that I'm doing logic here, and so is, so is reform. But I think I'm doing better logic, if I can put it that way. Because the issue is, it's not fair if Jesus doesn't love everybody. It's not true to his character because his nature is love. The mistake we make is we think that you can't love and hate. In the paradox, you can. Actually, we can all. Watch. God, who is love, fully loves his creation. When he makes his creation, what does he say about it? It is good. Not it is good, except for those one schmucks. Right? It is good. The only thing that wasn't good? That man should be alone. But his creation is good. But he truly gives us free will. He's not, he's saying you do not have, I'm not forcing you to follow me. If I wanted to create robots, I would have created robots. I would have programmed them to love me. And then I would have been in a relationship with something that I knew was programmed to love me, which is probably the worst definition of love I've ever heard. Right? How is it love when you program something to love you? It's not love. Love has choice in it. Has to. 
Love has a decision in it. Love has a, I'm going to lay down me in order to go after. Do you see it? So here's the key. If we use that free will to reject him, he hates that. But think about the nature of God's hate. Is it, you're not going to receive me, so I hate you. Or is it, I'm not looking at you anymore, but you're my creation. I absolutely adore you. But I know that in the free will that I gave you, you are never going to choose me. And I hate that. That's the right word, isn't it? If you really love something and it's not going to respond, it's not going to come around, it's going to be lost. Do you like that? Are you chill with that? Is that okay and you're dispassionate about it? Do you see it? No. It kills you. It kills you all the more. Because of what could have been. Right? And you hate that. Jacob, I loved. Esau, I hated. What does that word hate mean there? Does it mean I just hated him? For no reason, he says? No. What he's saying is it's tragic. What is tragedy? Oh, this is horrible. That's what tragedy is, right? Dramatically, tragedy is... And it's all the more... Because of the tragedy of it, <laughs> right? This is the God that the Bible paints. This is the God that the Bible reveals. A God who is love and loves all and gave his life for all, knowing that some would reject him, loving them and feeling the pain. In fact, the way scripture says it is, is that Jesus is a man despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. I want to put a different explanation in there about deepest grief for you. I want to say not only, but one of his deepest griefs is, is that he made you and he loved you and then you rejected him. And that kills him, as it would you. It kills him. Doesn't mean that he doesn't know it. Knowing it makes it all the worse, makes it all the more tragic. We there? The reason why I hope that we're there is because I want to say, Judas came up to him and was going to betray him by doing what? Pointing at him, saying, this is the man, arrest him. How was he betraying him? With a kiss. What is a kiss? We don't do this anymore, right? But if you, if you know anybody from kind of Europe, but particularly Middle East, if you know them, we, you know, I shake your hand and give you a hug. What you do in those cultures to do that is you kiss them on both cheeks, right? You, you do this greeting. And this greeting has to do with intimacy. You don't walk up to somebody that you don't know and give them a kiss. That's too forward. This is not right. You go up to somebody that you love. You go up to somebody that you're friends with. You go up to somebody that you're intimate with. And you go up to them and you demonstrate that closeness with them by giving them this kiss. And here is Jesus who has walked with this guy, who has given him every opportunity, even right up until that last moment where he's extending the same bread that he's going to use to bring the 11 to be one with him. He's using that same exact bread to say, take it. <laughs> Eat it. Don't reject what's being offered. And what's he do? Pain. 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 I think that when Judas does this with Jesus, he knew that it was going to happen, but it doesn't make it less. It makes it more. 
that he's going to betray him with a kiss. Ah! Take my heart and rip it out. Am I right? Because if I am, we know a God who knows rejection. We know a God, we have a God, we have a God who suffered as we did in having people, even though he was healing them, even though he was extending his love to them, even though he was trying to help them, they were rejecting him to the point of death. Putting him on a cross. So the question goes back to, has anybody ever deeply hurt you as you were sharing God's love with them? And the real issue that we're going after is, has this happened to you in a way that causes you to shut down? That causes you to not love as much? That causes you to not be willing to share Jesus as much? How many people in this room have had an experience with sharing Jesus that was tough? How many people? If you loved them, and they don't say yes, it hurts, period. If you don't love them and you're sharing Jesus with them, lovingly, shame on you. Because did you think the idea of Jesus was gonna save them? What saves a person is the love of God. In England, years ago, I suppose they still do it, I just haven't heard, but years ago there was a church planning movement and here's what they would do. They would move into a block. You know, there were all these blocks and rows from the Industrial Revolution. They would move into a block and it was filled with Muslims. And once they would convert that block, not everybody, but most, they would go to the next block and when they went into the block, what they found about witnessing to Muslims in particular was, number one, you can talk to God. No, you pray to him, but he's angry and distant. He doesn't talk back. You, you're making appeasement for him. You're praying these times in the day and you're doing the things of Ramadan and so on. You're doing these certain things throughout your life in order to appease him in order to make him not be mad at you. And even after you die, you don't go to be with God. You could never do that. But you do get to go to a heaven where there's joy, okay, and there's provision and so on. Now, the first thing then that they said to people was is the Christians would come in to a Muslim and they would say, you can talk to God. They wouldn't use the word pray because Muslims pray more than Christians do. They wouldn't use the word pray. They would use the word, you can talk to him and he'll talk back. He'll talk with you. That's a game changer. But what's underneath it? What was the thing that's underneath it? Yes. And in a, in a very, she said, relationship. And in, even more, in an even more finely tuned way, God loves you wants to be with you. No, he doesn't. <laughs> You're nuts. You're wrong. You don't understand God, holy God, and sinful us. He wants to be with you. I think we have to find our way through things that hurt us or we can never love. If we have an injury that is stopping us from loving, then we will not be that loving instrument of God to somebody who doesn't know that God even exists, yet alone loves. If you're going to manifest who God really is, you're going to manifest the kind of surprising love that is found on the cross for an enemy. That's the kind of love that you're going to find. And you cannot do that when you're protecting yourself. 
Do you see it? So here's what we're going to do in just a moment here. We're going to pray. And the first thing that we're going to do is you have to face the hurt head on. And what we're going to do in this prayer is we're going to let the Holy Spirit bring moments of rejection to your heart and mind. And not just rejection when people rejected you because you tried to share the gospel or just because you're a Christian. A lot of people in this room have experienced a lot of rejection. You didn't even do anything, but just the fact that you're a Christian, the people in your family, in your friend circles, in your job circles reject you. A lot of that. And it hurts and it does make you a little more careful, a little more circumspect about sharing, doesn't it? That's the first thing we're going to do. But then there's a second thing that we're going to do. We're going to bring in all those hurts that make us worry of love, and we're going to recognize it's not them, it's what happened to them. And I'm going to tell you a story that I'm hoping I can tell succinctly and carefully enough that when we get to prayer, you will still have the emotion of this story in your heart. I'm going to call it back to mind. This is a story about two people I love and respect as much as two people I do in all the world, and that's Julie and my mother, otherwise known as Muzz. And I just want you to, you're going to get the point here in one second, but I just want you to see something. Julie and Muzz, Julie, you know, Muzzy has five daughter-in-laws, five boys, five daughter-in-laws. Muzzy and Julie connected for two reasons. One was because Julie's very strong as a woman, as a human being. Julie's very strong. Muzzy, who is darling and wonderful and cheerful and delightful and fun and all these things, is also German. And I can say that because I am. And what I mean by that is, is that she has a certain way that she likes things done. And there's certain people that there's not just Germans do this. Anal retentive is another word for it. <laughs> but there are people who are very particular about how things should be and go, right? And Muzzy, they have this beautiful place in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And Jim Hayford was there one year and he said, you should open this up and, and let missionaries and people come from around the world to stay here and get relaxed, get some vacation. They can't afford it and so on. So they've had plenty of famous people there too, but they've had a whole lot of people that nobody's ever going to hear about. Missionaries, pastors, and so on come and get rest and rejuvenation in these cabins. Now, one of the things that makes them feel cared for is that Muzzy's anal retentive about it. How you tuck in a sheet, where the towels go, what color the towels are, how they match the room, how the whole room matches, how every, everything is exactly where you want it. When you get up, this light switch is exactly where it needs to be, and this thing over here. And everything is exactly and precisely what it needs to be in order for you to feel like you're being cared for. When you walk into a really well-designed four-star or five-star hotel, you know that you're being cared for by how well everything's being done, right? Well, this is that and then some. Now, what Julie did, because this is the way God made Julie. When Julie walks into a situation, she's smart and she has no problem figuring out what the right way to do things is. And if it was me, I would go in there and I would tell Muzzy, you're not doing this right. There's a faster, easier, better way to do this. In which case, my mother would say, thank you, there's surely got to be something else you could be doing now. <laughs> right? Julie's the kind of person that walks into somebody like Muzz and she figures out exactly what Muzzy wants. It doesn't matter what's right or what's better or what might work better or whatever else. Usually the things my mom's doing are right, down to the nth degree. And Julie comes in and she learns what that nth degree is and then she does it with excellence. And it's sacrificial for her. She will do it to the nub and she will do it perfectly and she will do it just amazingly to the point that Julian Muzz just made this connection that was incredibly deep, right? I mean, just about as deep. Surely, I've told you before, and she was not kidding. If you become a lawyer, you can't back, come back to Wyoming. If you divorce Julie, you can't come home, okay? <laughs> My mom loves me a lot. My mom, Julie and mom just have another thing, a connection, right? Now, my mom looks up to Julie. I think that's the right way to say it. She's amazed at the kind of person that Julie is. Now, this happened. This is a real story. Four years ago, 
we go back. Uh, this is the anniversary of Dave's passing today. And uh, so my parents had just lost Dave. And my mom was starting to go downhill on a cognitive Alzheimer's type issue. And that's not Alzheimer's in my opinion, but who knows. But it may as well be because, you know, she's losing the capacity to think and communicate and interact and so on. And it's, it started quickly and has advanced as quickly. It just continues down a very steep slope. So we go back and my dad is actually the issue because we knew my mom was in decline and we were trying to figure out how to help her. But my dad had just lost Dave and he couldn't take losing his wife at the same time. He literally would say to me over and over, how can a guy take this? How can you lose Dave as a spark? <laughs> you know, anybody who knew Dave knew that. I mean, when, when Dave's not there, you lost something big. And now this woman that I have been extremely close to for my entire life, best friends for 60 years, and I can't have a conversation with her anymore. And I've lost her. So we're back there and we're their kids. And Dave is gone. And then this is just right after Jim, too, passed away. So I'm now the oldest son. And I'm listening to my dad talking about losing two sons and his wife in literally, what, nine months? All of it. And we were just sitting there, and we had no thought that we would ever do anything like this. But my mom had developed a tick, and the tick was this. I don't, I'm scared of the world now because it's, I'm losing connection with it. I'm scared. And there's only one person I trust in all the world, and that's your pop, pops, my dad. And so he's going to take care of me. And we would say, well, we've got this couple that can come out and stay with you. And you know these people and you love them. They can come out. And everybody that we would suggest that would come out and stay in one of the cabins and take care of them, everybody would su we would suggest what would happen was is that my mom would do something that was very uncharacteristic of her. She would cut them up. And my mom is very sharp. And she used her sharpness to cut them deeply and thoroughly in the, that fast. These are people that she loved. And it was weird to see, but we knew it was happening. And so we went, there's nobody she's going to allow to be here. But Julie, my dad can't do it. Julie's got this connection with her. She can do it. So we prayed. I mean, it took us three days to get to the point to where we were able to say what we said to them because it meant we'd have to leave here suddenly and all that. But we said to them, we went out to dinner with them and we said to them, we're going to come out because we just said there's nothing else we can figure out. And how can we do, how can we let our parents go? Sometimes life throws your curveball. And this was a serious curveball. And we had no idea what was going to happen. And we had no idea how to do anything other. This was the only thing we could even think of. It was the only avenue left. We weren't wanting to go. We really didn't want to go. But we just said, you know, sometimes you have to do things you don't want to do. So we go out to dinner, and this is one more sacrificial thing that Julie has done to say, I'm going to leave my friends and my fulfillment and all these wonderful things we're doing, and we're going to come back here and take care of you. And we don't know how we're going to do it or anything else, but I'm going to do this. And she says that, and my mom cut her. even though it was Julie, in just a couple of sentences, my mom went, slice, slice, slice. And there was this hollow person that just fell apart. And it was about Julie. <laughs> now, when that happened, even as it was happening, I knew something. This isn't my mom. This is a woman whose life is caving in on her and she's scared. 
And this disease has done something which has caused her to react in a way that's A, not true, and B, not her. This is not who she is. This is not how she would respond. If, if, if the situation was changed at all in her mind, if it was like my dad or something, she'd say in a heartbeat, yes, and want that. But I did that. Julie's a dot, if you know dot and spiral. And the thing about spirals is, is they can climb into another person's life and understand it from their perspective very easily. We do that naturally. Dots don't. They don't understand where other people are coming from very well. That's not their, their strength. Their strength is other things that are very strength and very strong. But nonetheless, what happened was, is that in that moment, Julie, to this day, this happened four years ago, and I'm telling you to this day, if Julie would allow it to come out of the places where she packs things, because that's what she does with her drama, she just packs them away and never thinks about them again. But if she has to think about it again, it still would collapse her. Now, I, by the way, you, some of you are wondering, oh, what's he, I got permission from Julie to tell the story. I want you to know that. Okay, I would have never tell the story otherwise. But do you understand? Now, here's the point. Just because I was able to understand that it wasn't her, it was something else, that's a head thing. And that head thing overcomes any heart moment that I had in that moment. And I had a heart thing too. I was like, wow, that was really hard. But Julie didn't have that head thing. I could tell it to her and she can know that it's true. But the funny thing about a real heart cut is the head can't fix it. It can help, and it's wrong to think that you can't do anything in the head on it. It's just also wrong to think that the head can heal it. The head can help, but the healing's gotta come in the heart. The healing's got to come in the heart. Well, how does that happen? <laughs> if I can't convince you why you could think about it differently and it not hurt you, then how do you heal a heart? Seriously, how do you heal a heart? God heals hearts. God takes hearts and in a moment changes them from one thing to another. God takes the most difficult things that have ever happened to us and anybody who's ever had it happen knows what a miracle it is. But God will do something and it's not about the head. Not that you can't explain it with the head, but it's about that God came into the heart and gave you a new heart. Literally gave you a new heart. It's not just at salvation that he has to do that. He has to do that when he's repairing a damaged, cut up heart. You get what I'm saying. I'm not being theological when I say this. Except I am, right? I'm talking about the God that heals. And God is the only one that can come in that can heal a heart from a hurt. He's the only one that can take the hurt and change it so radically in the heart and the head of the person that that hurt never impacts them negatively ever again. That when they think about it, it means to them now something different. You see it? It's a miracle. So the second thing we're gonna pray for is that. A miracle that God would take hurts in here and that he would heal them the way that he can. He would just take them. You'd face it head on. You'd bring it out into the open where God could bring his sunlight in and get rid of it. That's the second thing we're gonna do. And the third thing, real simple prayer. We're gonna pray for the love and oneness that God so desires between you and the one that hurt you. The love that he had for us while we were yet enemies. This is a picture of me and Piper right after she was born. She's much bigger now. She's already an Olympic athlete. <laughs> Did you realize, think about this for a second. Name me another animal in all the animal kingdom that is defenseless can't even live, can't even take care of themselves, cannot provide for themselves. 
uh, name me another baby in the whole of the animal kingdom that takes years to be able to even protect themselves, yet alone feed themselves. A chimpanzee, which we're supposed to be close to, they take a little while, about a month, <laughs> right? And then they're swinging around in the branches, eating bananas, doing their thing, right? Mom's still teaching them some stuff, but not for that long. Why does God have a baby be absolutely, utterly dependent upon parents, not just mother, parents? For what, how old? Four years old, maybe? That's even a little young, right? But, but, eight. <laughs> it's awesome. 18. Thank you, Jesus. Do you see it? How does, why does God do that? What's he doing? He's trying to get us to connect. He's putting at the very most fundamental part of us a bond. Do you see it? He's connecting us in the deepest ways. So that for the rest of our lives, we will know something that's better than the other thing. Because see, what we do is we become mature enough to take care of ourselves. And that's the lie. A, you're never mature enough to do that. And B, it's not what God intended for you, even though you have the choice to do it. But the choice he's hoping that you'll make is to be dependent upon him and one another. So the third prayer that we're going to pray is, is that God did a lot of things in order to try and make us one. And this person that you witness to, this person that you love that hurt you in any way that they hurt you, this person is somebody that God wants you to be one with. That's what God wants. It doesn't mean it's going to happen, but it does mean that it's God's will. And what God says about us is, as far as is possible with you, be at peace, meaning be right with. Get it right with them. So we good? So literally, I'm just going to take a couple minutes right now. And I think, yeah, go ahead, Isaac, if you would, but just real soft. It's almost if you had to, like an acoustic, but that's all right. Just real soft. Okay. But first, we're going to face the hurt head on. I'm going to guide this prayer. And then we're going to bring in and recognize that it's not, look, every single person in this earth, including us, has been knocked off course to some degree by things that have happened to us, right? From what God intended, we have been knocked off course. And so what we're going to do is we're going to pray that God get us back on course, that God get them back on course. We're going to recognize that they got knocked off course. It's not what God intended for them. And we're going to see who God meant them to be, Right? And we're going to love them that way. And then we're going to get to the place to where we pray for oneness. So with this in mind, just, would you just pray with me here? And I'm not going to lead the whole prayer. I'm just going to guide us at certain points. And so right now, I just want you to let the Holy Spirit come in and start showing you places of hurt. People that have hurt you in any way, shape, or form. People that you loved that should have been there for you. That, you, that shouldn't have happened. But there was a hurt. be surprised at some of the names that are coming up. You may be defensive about it. Let the Holy Spirit bring to your mind things you might not even be aware of.
thank you, Jesus. I just bring them right before you in your heart. And then I just want you to start processing, letting God show you that the things that they were to you were not who he made them to be and not who they actually are in him. But that there's something else. A reaction, a world that's fallen, corrupted, perverted. now just go to the God who is the maker of your soul, who's the one who holds your heart in his hands and ask him to do a miracle. Ask him to give you a new heart that has not been hurt in any way, shape, or form by any of these other things. Just heal us, Lord. Heal us, Lord. Say that to him. Just heal me, Lord. Heal me, Lord. Give me a new heart. just pray that you and that person and persons would be made one as God intended. If I hadn't gone so long, I would love to have some testimonies. Because I got to tell you, I, God brought people to my mind I would have never in a million years thought to do this prayer with. But as I just entered into the process, he just did an amazing thing in my heart. I really feel. Let me end with this. This is what God wants us to do with every person that ever hurts us not just to turn the other cheek where they can strike again, which is a sacrifice and a thing of love, but to do so in a way where all they will feel from us is incredible, overwhelming, even undeserved love from us. Because ultimately God is not wanting the emphasis in us to be on outreach. It's not what it's about. It's about love. God, who is love, is trying to raise up people who are love and who are loving others in a way that's causing them to come to him. Right? So, Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, this is what we want. 
Reach down in front of you and grab these cups. Lord, in Jesus' most spectacular name, the God who heals us, you who heal us. In Jesus' name, so many places things got so broken and we put our fingers in there to say, wow, did we break things and did things get broken? And then we lift that cup up and we look right through that cup to Jesus on that cross, knowing that by his stripes we are healed. That Jesus took all of that pain, pain, pain upon himself and has healed, healed, healed us. So in Jesus' holy and precious name, we take this cup with thanksgiving that we have been healed and made whole. And now, Lord God, almighty, loving and gracious love itself, we lift this cup in which is the life that you have of healed hurts, of hearts that don't carry even a scar, of hearts that are new and malleable and able to do anything that you want us to do at any time because we trust you, because you've made us be bold. Love does that and you've anointed us to do whatever you want to do through us. So in Jesus' name we say, this is the life that I want. If you don't mean that, don't take this. And if you don't, that's okay. Just go to him and pray. And by the way, if you're here and you do not know the Lord, what a beautiful time to become one with him who loves you so much. So in Jesus' holy and precious name, we lift this cup and we say as we take it, God, we want that life. We want to be used by you to bring your love, to be your love, to heal, to reconcile to become one with, in Jesus' holy and precious name.